Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Home Builders. We're going to get started here in a couple minutes. Let's, uh, let's read our verse together. It's Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I hope that this series has been a blessing to you as we've partnered with what I've been trying to do with the church in our doctrinal doctrine series, and they've finished that now, obviously, as you know. But the, I think the Holy Spirit held, and I would, as I said earlier, really want you to focus. If you were able to be there for Pastor Charles's lesson this morning, you'll see the connectiveness to this lesson today. And today's lesson 11 is on the results of a Christian's new relationship with God, the gospel message. And because of that relationship that we have with God, so what? What, what matters because of that new relationship that we have with God? Romans 8, 18 is the passage that I would like to use as a kind of a springboard for this lesson. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The, the glory of God revealed in you and in me. So Romans 8, 17, if we go back one verse, it says that we're joint heirs with, with Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a joint heir with Jesus? Now for children, this was last week, the end of last week, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If it, we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The word heir, okay, refers to someone who's been appointed to receive an inheritance. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever thought to yourself, wouldn't it be nice if you found out that you were an heir to a millionaire's property, you know, whatever they gave you? Some of you, I have, I've been told Cheryl, I said, wouldn't it be nice if we had a long lost someone? <laughs> and then you got, a, you got a call from a lawyer and they said, hey, check this out. <laughs> you know, it's like, yay! But imagine how incredible that would be. This, that pales in comparison to what we are with the joint heir with Jesus Christ. And think about what that really means. Someone read for me 1 Peter 1.4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So there is an inheritance we have in heaven. Kept for you. Now think about that. Okay, now I want you to, um, I, I, I get it. Um, there are all kinds of interpretations of scripture. Okay? We're to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. And I know this is not our motivation of the why we do what we do. And I, I understand it. That there are those who believe that when we go to heaven, we will receive crowns. And, and you know, we're going to go, every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans makes that very clear to us. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne judgment. That is the judgment of sinners who have not been saved. And they're cast into the lake of fire. That was, that was created for the devil and his, his demons. But for us, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
And, and we're going to go through the Bema seat judgment in which all of our works, everything we've done since becoming a follower of Christ will, if you will, pass through the fire. And the Bible says that wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. Anything we did as a follower of Christ in the flesh is gone. In other words, if I'm standing up here today and you go, boy, that was a great message. That was wonderful. I really enjoyed that today. I such appreciate you as a teacher. And that goes to my head, and I'm actually the motive of why I'm doing this is just to get the praise of men. The Bible basically says you've got your reward. If you do it for the wrong reasons, that's it. It's gone. It's meaningless. It's purposeless in eternity. But there's also that those works that we will do that will pass through the fire, that will be gold and silver, precious stones. And if we're to store treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt, the thieves break through and steal. And we're, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this is an inheritance kept for you in heaven. Does what we do now matter? Uh, again, the Bible isn't clear of what those things are. But I do know that from my theological point of view... That there, I believe that there's going to be a rapture, as Pastor Heinz spoke last week. I do believe in a thousand-year reign of Christ, and we will rule and reign with Christ. And I think based on what we do right now, we'll impact our responsibilities during that thousand-year millennial reign. But I also don't see heaven as a place where we're going to be on clouds playing harps. I also don't think that we're going to be, although we are going to do it, our... And I, and I know, this, I don't want this to sound sacrilegious to you. It's not my intent. But I love to sing. You know that. Singing has been a part of my life. I mean, I even had lessons and, and all that kind of stuff. But the bottom line is, do, do I really think an eternity of a choir is the extent of heaven? No. Will we sing? Absolutely. Will we be in massive choirs singing? Absolutely. But there's also, if God created the earth, and he created us, and planted Adam and Eve in a garden, and said, take care of it. He's a creative God. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Do we think we're just going to sit in our, you know, in our mansions or our dwelling places in heaven, the places that God created for us, and play Xbox all day? Now, some of you would go, yes! <laughs> Not me. Okay? I don't know what we're all going to do, but I think what we do now matters. So in other words, it's not the motive, but it's an incentive. In other words, as we're going through this, we're, we're a joint heir with Jesus. What does Jesus have? Now, again, I'm not talking about stuff. I'm not talking about gold. I'm not talking about silver. I'm not talking about bragging rights. I'm not talking about pride. But I'm talking about the, the blessings of, of God. And we have this, we're joint heirs with Jesus. And there's so many incredible things that we have because we are joint heirs with Christ. God has declared that we are his children and we will receive the Lord's inheritance. John 1, 12 and 13 says, yet to all who did receive him. Okay, this means those who are Christians. To those who believed in his name, followers of Jesus. He gave the right to become the children of God. So again, as a reminder, we're not, every human being on this earth is not God's children. We're not all God's children. Only those who have accepted Christ are God's children. 
children who are not out of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And that's why John 3 says you must be born what? Again. Again. So you're born from God. Colossians 3, 24. Someone read that, please. But you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ your servant. So you're going to receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And these are things that we're going to be receiving. And he will give us his glory. The, again, we're not talking about tangible things like we're not going to have, oh, I've got a bigger mansion than you have. Again, there's no pride in heaven. There's no going to be like, I've got more stuff than you've got. That's not what we're talking about here. But we are talking about, he says, he'll give us his glory, his riches, and all things. John 17, 22, I've given them glory, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. There we go. So we're going to be one with God, not gods. We're not going to be little gods. Okay, that's Mormonism. What we're talking about here is that we're going we're gonna to have the glory of God. Someone read for me 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that for your sake he became poor, that that you through his poverty might become rich. So what, can, what, what, what is he, what, we're, we're a joiner of Jesus, what does he mean by you'll be rich? Is he talking about monetary stuff? No. no. So what is he talking about rich? You'll be rich in the character traits that God has. Which are? Grace, mercy, love, you know, kindness. Uh, Fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. Sinlessness. Sinlessness. We will be like God. We will be sinless. What else? Holy. Holy. Completely satisfied. You know, Cheryl and I, you know, uh, when we go out to eat, uh, we think calories. Okay? Now, I know that sounds weird, but we think calories. And if we're going to eat calories, we would prefer calories that we're satisfied with. In other words, not just empty calories. So if we're going to eat something, we go, do you ever go to a place and you leave a restaurant or you have dinner at your home and you go, that was amazing. I really enjoyed that. You know, okay? And, and, I, and Cheryl has some incredible <laughs> dishes that she makes. Her baked ziti is one of my favorite. Okay? Or there, there's all kinds of things that she'll make that I'll go, my mom's meatloaf. Okay? It's, it's not only good the first night. I like it cold on a sandwich with ketchup. You know, it's oh, so good, okay, so good. You know, the, and the best, oh, the best is when she bakes beans, not cooks baked beans on a stove, but puts baked beans into a dish, puts it in the oven, bakes it for about an hour, so it gets caramelized, it gets thicker, and that, oh, it's so good. But then, that's not the best. The best is when you, it's cold, and you put it on wheat bread with mayonnaise. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Amazing. I just lost all of you. I grew up on that, and I still love it. <laughs> the riches of his grace. 
I'm going to have baked bean sandwiches in heaven. And they will truly be heavenly. You know? We're going we're gonna to have the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the Lord's going to have, try this baked bean sandwich. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and since 1981, he says, I won't drink this wine with you again. I'll have wine for the first time since 1981. So that'll be good, too, you know? <laughs> Hebrews 1, 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his, by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. He's appointed heir of all things. We're going to be an heir of all things. With him. We, everything that he has, we'll have. Incredible. Incredible. What does it mean to be an heir of God? An heir of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. That is one of those things that if you want to talk about Christian meditation this week, meditate on that. Meditate on being a joint heir with Jesus Christ and what that means to you. What God wants to do in and through you through that. We will also be an heir of his sufferings. <laughs> but the sufferings we experience can't be compared to our glorification. Amen? <clears throat> Think about that. 2 Timothy 3.2 says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're living a godly life, you will be persecuted. It, it, it will come in various forms and different forms. Someone read for me John 15.18 or Romans 8.18. Both of those. Someone read both of those. If verses. the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed It'll be revealed in us. It, it, it's nothing compared to that glory. And that's another meditation element. Meditate on heaven. And what it's going to be like. Whew. Amazing. You know, there's so many things. I, I know um, there, there are things in my life that I, I, I wonder. I'm as much a male as I am a female at times because... I'm just kind of like one of those weirdos. I'm a weird guy. I fully admit it. Like, I love shopping. I get that. You know, it's like, that's, that's a little weird for most men. Most men are hunters. Boom, bang. They get the shirt and they're out of here. I'm gone. How many of you men are like that? You're hunters when it comes to shopping. You know, I get that. Some of us men, how many of you men love to shop like me? Or at least you love to shop. You may not like me, but you love to shop. You know? There's so many things like that. Well, in, in this whole relationship of this understanding, there are things that I just, maybe it was just the way I was raised or maybe it's the way God created me, but have you ever taken time to look at a flower? I mean, to really concentrate on a flower. The beauty of it, at this time of the year, go up to the cherry tree blossoms and look at them. Or when the dogwood begins to blossom and you'll see these blooms of white and red and pink. Or the red buds, the weirdest tree in the world, that out of the limbs itself come these little buds of flower that comes out before the leaf itself. Tish. When you said
something very special for us. The creation is suffering along with us, but we'll be liberated as well. Romans 8, 18 to 25, I consider that our present suffering, we just read, are not worthy compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, <clears throat> but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childhood right to the present time. The music, its sound has changed. Before, its sound was, was one thing that Ch Pastor Charles was talking about earlier today. But now, the, the, the sound has changed. Grown inward, we've grown inwardly. And the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions of sonship. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. We, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. We hope. Who, excuse me. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. That's what it's all about. Folks. We, we have hope in something that we haven't seen. We're hoping for the place. And we have confidence in that hope that we have. But creation... When Adam sinned and death came into this world, think about it. Pastor Charles was talking about today everything that has atoms is making a noise. Whether it's the trees or flowers or rocks, everything is making a noise. The sun, the earth, the moon, everything is, is making a noise. We're making a noise. Imagine being God who created everything with a beautiful sound. The moment a leaf begins to die and fall comes. The change of color is beautiful. But the sound of a leaf changes. You ever walk on leaves that have turned brown? The green leaf that's silky smooth has now turned to a crunch and crumbles away. The sound has changed. Death has come. And the earth is groaning. It's groaning to be liberated from this death. God renews it. And the, the tree begins to grow again until it falls off, breaks from its root. And then it just lays there and is dead and rots. The sound that it makes has changed because creation is groaning along with us. So how has the earth and all that is in it suffered? Think about it for a moment. How has the earth suffered because of sin? Real quick. Weeds. Briars. Volcanoes. Earthquakes. Volcanoes. Earthquakes. Tornadoes. What? Desertification. Desertification. Sure. Land that becomes deserts. The lack of water. 
the starvation of the earth. You've seen pictures, you've been places where the earth is so dry, it's cracked. <laughs> like the bottom of my feet at times. Gross. Right? Disgusting. It's disgusting. I mean, think about it. Think about the animal that dies. Think about the noise that a rabbit makes as it's hopping along when the hawk swoops down and grabs it by its back and begins to eat it. Think about how this earth is dying all the time. And Disney puts out this the circle of life. That's because of the fall. It's because of the fall. There's a circle of life. The death becomes the necessity to bring on new life. Why Paul, if you go back to that passage, he addresses it as, as a woman going through childbirth. Think about that. Now, I don't know about you, but um, I've been in those hospitals, rooms, and waiting for children to be born or celebrating the birth of someone in this class that's been born. And down the hall, you hear someone, ah! <laughs> That was not part of God's plan. And the husband who looks at, at his wife lovingly, carefully, she grabs him by the throat and says, you did this to me. And he sits there going, focus, focus. Whoosh, whoosh. Since the Holy Spirit lives in us, why do we groan in our bodies? Why do we groan? Because things hurt as you get older. <laughs> things hurt. It's not just when you get older too, right? Your grandchild falls and begins to cry. And you have to take care of it because they're bleeding. Or they're hurting. Our granddaughter the other day called us and she says, I'm sad. She said, Madison, why are you sad? She was riding on a, a skateboard like it was like remote control skateboard, whatever. She's laying there, and she started to fall off, and he kept on pushing it on. So she's just grinding along the road on her back. <laughs> road burn. She says, "You want to see it?" <laughs> Our bodies are dying. Our bodies are dying. We're groaning, and God's up in heaven going, didn't, didn't want that to happen. But it's what you get when you choose sin. Our bodies die. What was the hope that Paul described for us? Go back to that passage, okay, which we're looking at here in Romans 8. What was the hope? Bible. <laughs> yes, it's in the Bible. That's our hope. The truth found in the Bible. What was that hope? What does it say? Be like that we'll be like Christ. That's the hope that we have. We, we have. We're not like Christ yet. We're not perfect. We still struggle with that. 
Because we're children of God and the joy with Christ, the Spirit helps us because we're weak. And the Spirit prays for us. Do we always know how or what to pray for? No. Explain that. Why don't we know what we should always pray for? You've got a wayward child. And, 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 and it's like, God, what are you going to you know, do? Whatever's necessary for you, but please be gracious. Yeah. We don't even know what to pray for. We just, we just want them to get right with you. But what's it going to take, Lord? They're stubborn. They've left you. What are we going to do? There's so many examples of this. When we want something, but we don't even know how to pray. We have a loved one dying. They've lived a long life. Do we want God to take them? Or heal them? In our minds, we're thinking, their body's not going to heal without a miracle. You know, I, I, I tell my students, uh, I ask them this question when we talk about euthanasia. I said, is it ever morally right to remove a person from a feeding tube so that they starve to death? Unanimously, no. Then I go, but what about my grandmother? Whose body, when a person goes into that elderly stage in the, in the dying process, one of the first things that begins to go is their digestion, their ability, and even their desire for food changes. Their, their taste buds change. They don't eat as much. That's why they get a discount. <laughs> At least some of them do. Not eat as much, that means. And, and they just, they're just not hungry. And you're like, eat, eat. I'm just not into it. And her body had shut down. They had put a feeding tube in her but she no longer passed food. So they were pumping her stomach. And then her body would fill up again. And then they would pump her stomach. She was literally suffering and drowning in the fluids that were being pumped into her body. And I asked them this question. Is it merciful to remove that feeding tube so that they can go through, she can go through the dying process? Oh, in that case, yeah. See, the problem is, is that sometimes we, we, we don't know what to pray for because we're going through this struggle. And there are times in our life when we go, wait a minute now. What I think is right changes that scenario, but that doesn't mean that it's in relative truth. But that's when the Holy Spirit guides us and intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Not only is Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, the Holy Spirit is too. So the Son and the Spirit are praying for you. Is that not amazing? That you don't necessarily know how to pray, but they're doing it for you. 
in words that only God understands. It's very clear. And yet, we, we wonder, does God care? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. God is working for our good according to his purpose for our lives. Romans 8, 28 to 30. Someone read that for me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So all things are not good. Okay? Do you, do you agree with that? All things are good. But God is working for our good through all of life's circumstances. Even in the midst of trials and in the midst of pain, God is working for our good. God has predestined us to be conformed to Christ's image. Dr. Cole's life verse, Philippians 1.6, He that hath begun a good work in you is performing it unto the day of Jesus Christ. God is transforming us. He's predestined us to be like Jesus. So that's the sanctification process. He's transforming us to look and act like Jesus. In what way? How is he transforming us through, through sanctification? We grow through our trials. We, we grow in Christ's likeness through our trials. We grow in Christ's likeness through our trials. Good. Somebody else? We're not fearful and intimidated like we used to be. Yeah. We're not fearful and intimidated. How is he transforming us to look and act like Jesus? Love. Through his love. Through his word. Through his word. Through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Drawing us to himself. Praying for us. How is God doing this? How is he predestined? He called us. I, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. He's justified us. He's declared us righteous. And he's glorified us. Positionally, we're already seated in heaven. We're already glorified. Practically, we won't until we get there. But from God's perspective, it's a done deal. Signed, sealed, delivered. <laughs> he's yours. God is for you and loves you unconditionally. And this is, I, I, I'm ending on this today because I want you to walk out of here encouraged. This is the passage that ends this chapter. What then shall we say in response to these things? Romans 8, 31 to 39. If God is for us, and let me put, tell you folks, every one of you in this room, all of us, God is for you. God's for you. He's not against you. He who did not spare his own son. Think about it. He didn't spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. He will not only also along with him. How will he not also along with him. Graciously give us all things. If he gave us his son. <laughs> that's his greatest gift. What else would, would everything else pales in comparison, but nevertheless, he's out to give you all things. 
won't bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. Is Satan, he may charge you. He may come into prison like he did with Job. Hey, what about your, your servant blank? Put your name there. It's God who justifies. God is your justifier. Think about that person that said that thing about you, that tried to hurt you, that, that lied about you. Who can judge you? God's the one who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? You're not condemned. No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He's interceding for you. He's your cheerleader, if you will. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Or excuse me, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. That's what Satan's desire is. To kill, steal, destroy. No. In, in all these things, we're more than conquered for him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, Selah, think on that for a while. Meditate on that passage this week. God is for you and loves you unconditionally. And with God on our side, who can be against us? If he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, what would he withhold? Yes, yes. What has he already given us? What's he already given us? Real quick. Pardon? Eternity. In heaven. What else? Joy. Joy. Peace, mercy, grace, unconditional love, his presence, his spirit, his forgiveness, his help, his help in time of need. Think of all the things that God has given to you. Think about it. Meditate on that this week. What has he given to you? Freedom. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is our judge and has declared us righteous. But why do we beat ourselves up at times like Satan tries to do to us? Stop beating yourself up. Experience true freedom in Christ. Experience the life God intended you to have. Yes, we hate sin. We hate our own sin. And that's, what, that's in the Holy Spirit. Because if, like if you don't like sin, then the Holy Spirit's living in you. That's one of the evidences of your salvation. Now, if you're just living in sin, you go, I don't care. I'm living my life the way I want to. No one has the right to tell me how to live. Check your salvation. But if you do, if you're like me, when I sin, I'm like, I, I thought I'd be happy, but I'm not. Don't beat yourself up. He's already forgiven you. 
get it under the blood of Christ, ask that forgiveness. He gives that to us freely, and we are free to enjoy his presence again. Jesus, who is our judge, intercedes for us against our accusers. And what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing can separate you from God's love. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And he even loves me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for all you did for us. God, may we be reminded of the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. May we understand what has truly transpired in our lives because of your salvation. You predestined us to be conformed to Christ's image. We will be. Help us to yield ourselves to you. Because we know that when we're walking in your spirit, we're not frustrated with the flesh. God, thank you for calling us, for justifying us, for sanctifying us, and glorifying us. Now, Lord, may we yield our hearts and minds and renew our minds through your word to live it, to, to glorify you through our life, to bless others. Thank you, God, for all you've done for us. May we share this with others, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week.